Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, January 21st, 2013. Today we're reading from the big book. You're going to find us in Chapter 8, Two Wives, on page 104. Today's readers are Penny E., Rick, Du, and Judy B., the share code for yesterday's meeting, that's Sunday, January 20th, 3717. 3717. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Margaret to read the 12 steps. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, a vision for you. My name is Margaret, compulsive overeater from Illinois. The 12 steps. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscience contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you. I will now call on Rebecca to read the 12 traditions. One, uh, this is Rebecca, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, 
Each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to compulsive overeater, the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. You'll find us in Chapter 8, Two Wives, on page 104. And I will ask Penny E. to begin reading, please. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, everybody. My name is Penny E., recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. So chapter eight, to the wives. To the wives has an asterisk, so I'm going to go right down to that uh, footnote on the bottom of page 104 and start with that. Written in 1939, when there were few women in AA, this chapter assumes that the alcoholic in the home is likely to be the husband but many of the suggestions given here may be adapted to help the person who lives with a woman alcoholic, whether she is still drinking or is recovering in AA. A further source of help is noted on page 121. So the first paragraph. With few exceptions, our book thus, thus far has spoken of men, but what we have said applies quite as much to women. Our activities in behalf of women who drink are on, the same, are on the increase. 
There is every evidence that women regain their health as readily as men if they try our suggestions. But for every man who drinks, others are involved. The wife who trembles in fear of the next debacle, the mother and father who see their son wasting away. And I would like to share. Penny E., recovered compulsive overeater. Um, I love this chapter. And uh, for many, many years, you know, I was just as happy when we skipped over this, you know, to the wives, da 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 you know, there's nothing in there for me. And I did that for many years. And uh, in studying, you know, the way we've been studying on this line, you know, actually uh, savoring every sentence, I have learned so much from this chapter, and I'm looking forward to it again. Um, this chapter actually helps me identify in. You know, I can see a lot of my behavior in here, a lot of my behavior in here. It also helps me to understand the devastation that I created in my life, you know, looking at, the, looking at my disease through the eyes of people who love me. Very, very valuable to me. Um, it also, also helps me with people who, like in my, in my life, I have a stepson, 40 years old, drug addict, prison, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, I can't sponsor him. You know, he's not interested. And it just helps me to understand what I can do with him. But the interesting thing about Overeaters Anonymous is it's, it's, if this were written for us, by us, it would be to the husbands because there's so many more um, women who come out as compulsive overeaters than men here. But uh, it really doesn't matter. The words, you know, it all means the same, just all means the same. So I'm grateful to hear what the text is going to tell us, and thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Kim. Kim, go ahead. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. But for every man who drinks, others are involved. But I have to say, you know, I didn't read this chapter for years because, you know, when I came into OA as a single woman in, in my 20s, who was fat and wanted to get thin because I wanted to get married. That was the whole point of getting thin is I wanted to get a boyfriend. I wanted to get married. So why would I read this chapter about to the wives? You know, I, was, I wasn't a wife. I, I, this, is the, this is my curse of being fat is that I would never get married. You know, but what this chapter does for me as a compulsive overeater is it makes me realize of what the damage I've done to the people around us because it was all about self. Self, self, self. You know, I'm fat, I only hurt myself, and I have to concentrate on myself. You know, and I want to go back to page 62 here. It says, selfishness, self-centeredness. That is the root of my troubles. Driven by a thousand forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation but we invariably find at some time in the past we have made decisions based on self, which later place us in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. So what this chapter does for me is it makes me realize that I hurt other people, that it wasn't just about me sitting in, in my childhood bedroom binging and only affecting myself. You know, my fa- I'm 45, Dale. My father, just a couple weeks ago, said mentioned to me about the fact that when I was in my 20s and went to the doctor, I lied to him about my blood work because I didn't want him harping on me. And my dad, he was so scared for me. He was so terrified to watch his 20-something daughter 
walk up a flight of stairs and not be able to catch her breath. You know, he was afraid for me. He didn't think anybody would hire me because I was so obese. You know, I have a friend now that is morbidly obese, and I, I cry because I think to myself, she's my age, she's in her 40s, and I'm going to go to her funeral because she's so obese. You know, I couldn't play with my friend's kids because I couldn't, get, I couldn't walk around a, a playground. You know, I limited what I even can do with my friends. I couldn't, I, I, the movies was where I loved to binge, but I got to the place. I couldn't go to the movies because I couldn't fit in the seats. You know, this is what it's saying here, you know. For the wife who trembles in fear of the next debauch, the mother and father who see their son wasting away, my parents watched me blow up wondering if they were going to have to bury their daughter. You know, so we are so selfish and self-centered that we don't recognize what we are doing to the loved ones around us. So as we read this chapter, think about that. Think about this disease ravages everyone around us. It isn't an isolated disease only that hurts us. So as we read this chapter, recognize the damage that we are doing around because we are selfish and self-centered. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? Star one to unmute. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'll just tap into this statement here. Uh, But for every man who drinks, others are involved. The wife who trembles in fear of the next debacle, the mother and father who see their son wasting away. It reminds me, uh, much like Kim was just describing, of another part in our text. If you turn to page 18 at the top of the page, it says an illness of this sort, and we have come to believe in an illness, involves those about us in a way no no other human sickness can. If a person has cancer, all are sorry for him, and no one is angry or hurt. But not so with the alcoholic illness, for with it there goes annihilation of all the things worthwhile in life. It engulfs all whose lives touch the sufferers. It brings misunderstanding, fierce resentment, financial insecurity, disgusted friends and employers, warped lives of blameless children, sad wives and parents, anyone can increase the list. Indeed, you know, living with someone who's a real compulsive overeater um, is like uh, walking through a landmine. We are unpredictable. Uh, we are touchy. We are obstinate. Um, we are difficult. We are selfish. We're inconsiderate. Um, and we have habits that have kept the home in turmoil. And I certainly can, you know, uh, see that in my career as a compulsive overeater, the way my parents had to watch my deterioration and my removal, uh, my uh, lack of participation in life um, was something that they endured. And uh, the same thing with an early marriage, where my ability to function in life and my ability to be um, available as a wife and my ability and desire to be emotionally uh, intimate and and physically intimate and to be uh, a wife and and to be a high-functioning individual, despite my education, um, you know, was unraveling. Everything was deteriorating. Every, every facet of my life was deteriorated because of my illness. 
And therefore, um, the people who loved me and the people who interacted with me, whether it was my parents, a sibling, my husband, or friends, um, were, uh, you know, had pain in their lives due to the way I behaved. It is a family illness. If you live with one of us, you will be affected by it. And uh, certainly the big book makes that clear in numerous places. Anyone else like to comment on these paragraphs? I'll take that as a no. And Rick, could you read the next paragraph, please? Good morning. My name is Rick. I'm a compulsive overeater. Among us are wives, relatives, and friends whose problems have been solved, as well as some who have not yet found a happy solution. We want the wives of Alcoholics Anonymous to address the wives of men who drink too much. What they say will apply to nearly everyone bound by the ties of blood or affection to an alcoholic. So what we have now is the the original authors are introducing some wives of alcoholics to write the, the rest of this chapter. And they're they're I think they made a, a wise choice to go at it from this angle instead of them as recovered alcoholics telling the wives what to do. They're bringing in wives of recovered alcoholics to talk to wives of other recovered alcoholics and those whose husbands have not yet solved their problems. And they're allowing uh, family and friends to identify in to the problem, just like an alcoholic has to identify in to other alcoholics that are solving that problem. And um, I think it's it's interesting that first sentence is, that sentence that says, wives, relatives, and friends whose problem has been solved. In other words, their problem is solved by their husbands getting recovered, as well as some who have not yet found the solution. So those are wives whose husbands are still drinking. So it's gonna, it's gonna once again talk about uh, bringing identification. It takes one to know one, whether or not you're an alcoholic or you're living with an alcoholic. So I'll pass with that. Thank you, Rick. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Sarah. Go ahead. Good morning. This is Sarah, recovered compulsive overeater. Among us are wives, relatives, and friends who's whose problem has been solved, as well as some who have not yet found a happy solution. But this, you know, this chapter, as well as all the other chapters, is a pro, um, is sharing their experience. This is a program of experience, not just theory. These are things that, you know, they're sharing what what has worked. Among us are wise relatives whose problem has been solved. The problem has not, it's not, they're sharing what, just like, the, the book, the program of action, which is talking to the alcoholic themselves and saying, this is what worked for us. This worked. This is our experience. This too here is a chapter to the wives, to the relatives, to the friends. The problem has been solved. You know, the family members can feel as hopeless as the, as the alcoholic, as the you know compulsive overeater themselves. The person who's, who suffers who's so self-centered, who's so caught up in their own hopelessness and misery, can't even see always 
the effect that it has on the family members who may not always want to share the effect that it has on them. And here, in their kindness, share a chapter to the relatives because they recognize that we don't live in a vacuum. We don't live just by ourselves without affecting other people. And here they're sharing their program of experience. Our problem has been solved. And here we're going to share with you what worked for us and what may work for you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. This is Robin. Good morning. Good morning, Robin. Sorry. Um, says, we want, we want the wives of Alcoholics Anonymous to address the wives of men who drink too much. So that brings to mind two different things from earlier in the book. One is, from the doctor's opinion, where it says, frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. The message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. So that's what they're saying. The depth and weight of the wife of an alcoholic is going to be the message of the wife of an alcoholic in which the problem has been solved. So that's, it's the same exact thing as, rear, as compulsive over year to compulsive over year. But the other thing I wanted to address is how we, in, in our fellowship, have really twisted the idea of anonymity. You know, in the forward to the first edition, it says, it is important that we remain anonymous because we are too few at present to handle the overwhelming number of personal appeals which may result from this publication. So when writing or speaking publicly about alcoholism, we urge each member of our fellowship to omit his personal name, designating himself instead as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. So that is the purpose of anonymity, that we are supposed to be anonymous to people outside the fellowship so that we can be united as a member of, of Alcoholics Anonymous. But what we have done in our fellowship and other other types of fellowships is we start to be anonymous to each other, and especially we want to be anonymous to our family members. You know, don't, when you leave a message, don't let people know that you're in OA because that their, pers- their family may not know. And here it's saying that we want the wives to talk to each other. We want the, the family members to have support from each other. And I know for myself, I've done so many diet programs that have failed, but I was using LA as another diet program, so I want my family to know because I might lose 20 pounds and then I, this may not work and I'm going to gain back 40, so I don't want my family to know about this. So what it's saying here is we want the wives of Alcoholics Anonymous to address the wives of men who drink too much and how else will they know unless we, are, we let the family know that we are in OA? We let the family know that we are, have joined this 12-step program and we are trying to change our lives. So we are not supposed to hide from each other. We are not supposed to hide from our family members. We're supposed to utilize this fellowship for support and so are our family members. You know, because back when this book was being formed, the wives drove their family members to these meetings in people's homes. And what Lois did was say, hey, why sit in your car? Come into my kitchen. We'll talk with each other. Let's talk with each other. Let's support each other because our husbands are trying to recover. And that's how, o- that's how Al-Anon was formed. And OA you know, doesn't have that fellowship because we are hiding in the rooms and we are hiding from our families. So this is what this is saying. If our family members are to recover, we want the wives of Alcoholics Anonymous 
to address the wives of men who drink too much. We want our family members to be able to utilize ourselves, each other for support because of the damage that we have done. We as compulsive overeaters have done to our families. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Robin, please. Morning, this is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, <clears throat> among us are wives, relatives, and friends whose problem has been solved. My guess is that their problem hasn't been solved because their husband or partner has stopped drinking. Um, this this book is um, providing us with a solution to every problem we could probably possibly have, including having a husband, wife, or relative who is a drunk or a compulsive overeater. And what what's going to happen with this chapter is we're going to find out how to apply this program to all areas of our lives, even when there's somebody else who's got problems that we can't um, affect or address. Because not everybody who came into this program got sober. There are still wives who have um, possibly active addiction in their lives. And um, we've talked before about how this isn't just a... Um, uh, uh, my problem just isn't with the food. My problem is with people in relationships. And what happens a lot of the time is that I find out as I work this program that I'm going to have to let go of somebody. I'm going to have to let go of my expectations of the other person. I'm going to have to let go of what I think I need from them in order to be happy and content and whole. And we're going to find out in this chapter how to address the fact that um, sometimes we can't um, affect or fix somebody else. Um, so, you know, from that standpoint, I mean, this is a chapter that's going to help us in many ways, but one of them is um, the fact that we can't always be, uh, we can't always help somebody else. Or if the other person is working their own program, which we hope, we allow them to have their own program, and we work our own program. So what we're, what we're talking about here is the fact that um, in this process, we continue to support each other. We help each other with, with the issues that are going to come up, and we're going to find out how to, um, how to be a significant other in a relationship or how to be a sponsor in a relationship where perhaps the other person um, is doing their own thing or has problems that we can't help them with. Um, it's it's going to help us to learn how to perhaps detach with love in some circumstances. But we do that with the support of others who are also hanging in there with us and doing the same thing and using this program to solve all our problems. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? All right, well, let's move on, please, to the next paragraph. Do, would you read the next paragraph, please? Good morning. This is Do, Recovering uh, Compulsive Overeater. It says, as, as wives of Alcoholics Anonymous, we would like you to feel that we understand as perhaps we can. We want to analyze mistakes we have. We want to leave you with the feeling that no situation is too difficult and no unhappiness too great to be overcome. We have traveled a rocky road. There's no mistake about that. We have 
long rendezvous with hurt and pride, frustration, self-pity, misunderstanding, and fear. These are not pleasant companions. We have been driven to maldon sympathy to bitter resentment. Some of us veer from extreme to extreme, ever hoping that one day our loved ones would be themselves once more. I pass. Thank you. Anyone like to comment on what was read? Hi, this is Katie, a compulsive reader. Katie, go ahead. Good morning, everyone. I'm Katie, a compulsive reader, recovered in Virginia. Um, I'm sorry. Um, it's. I think I know for myself. I thought that I did not affect anyone, and um, but when I read these paragraphs, it's like yes, I know that I was the one who caused this pain in other people's lives, and I am capable of doing it again. Um, and we, there is hope for us as we deal with other um, compulsive overeaters, people who are still in the disease, our own family members, um, from myself. You know, not everybody in my family is recovered. And so this chapter is helping me to... Um, to see that, you know, I can keep on my path and it's not going to hurt anybody or it's not going to help anybody if I join them where they are. Um, So this uh, hurt, pride, frustration, self-pity, misunderstanding, and fear, um, these are not pleasant companions. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to bring anybody to, um, into the self-centered, selfish life that I had. I don't want to go back there. You know, as it would have it, I, you know, got married seven years into my recovery. So my husband did not, has never seen me in the way I I was as an addict. But he was married to a compulsive overeater for 10 years before me. So he knows, he he has that contrast, um, and it's not me, it's, it's someone else. But, you know, when he walks in the room and he sees me staring at my big book with the phone at my ear, he walks out, says, yeah, she's doing, her, she's about her business. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have that if he thought that, you know, if when I hung up the phone, I went back to being, you know, this self-centered witch. So, um, you know, our family members have to understand our, our recovery, but they also can become sick themselves and without a pass. Thank you. Anyone else like to comment on what was what read? This is Kim. Kim, go ahead. Um, we have been driven from maudlin sympathy to bitter resentment. They've been driven. Why have they been driven there? Because of our behavior. Because of our behavior. And I keep going back earlier in the text, but that's, it's so important for us to understand our role in why our family is so sick. So I'm going to go back to page 82 now, where it says, the alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken, sweet relationships are dead, affections have been uprooted, selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking 
when he says that sobriety is enough. He is like the farmer who came out of his cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand? The wind stopped blowing. And yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. So that's what the wife's coming out, coming up from. We're coming up from this tornado. And we do. I often thought that. I often thought, well, I'm not eating anymore. They should just get over it. Just get over it. You know, but we've driven them to this maudlin sympathy, to bitter resentment. You know, that our behavior has, has really hurt these people. You know, wives, children, family members. Yet we like to think, you know, these are just the alcoholics. Of course the alcoholics hurt their families like that, but we didn't hurt our families like that. But as we've gone through these steps, we're starting to understand the ravage that we've done. And I have to tell you, it wasn't just in the food that I did this damage. I did a lot of damage while abstinence. Because you know what abstinence alone got me? It got me restless, it got me irritable, and it got me discontent. At least when I was in the food, I was just alone in my bedroom and not and isolating myself. When I, was, when I was abstinent, I was like that grouch in the brainstorm. They never knew what was going to walk through the door. They wanted to give me a candy bar just to, to get me to calm down a little bit. So we have to recognize the damage that we have done. And of course these people have been driven to moiling sympathy and bitter resentment. But it's giving these, these families hope. It says we want to leave you with the feeling that, matter, that, feeling that no situation is too difficult and, and no unhappiness is too great to overcome. So just as Lee were told on page 98, as job or no job, wife or no wife, we will not get over our drinking so long as we put dependency upon others before dependency on God. It's the same for the spouses. It's the same for our parents. It's the same for our children that our recovery is not dependent on them getting better. That they have to, in order they want, if they want to live happy, joyous, and free, that they have to, they have to work on themselves so that, that our sobriety isn't affecting them, whether we are participating in our disease or not. But that's a tall order. That is a tall order for our families. And we have to recognize the, the tornado that we have been in their lives. And just because we stop drinking, just because we stop eating, doesn't mean that the damage has stopped. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much. Anyone else like to comment on these paragraphs? Yes, Morning, this, this, is is Betty, this is Betty Ann. Margaret, and then Betty Ann, please. Good morning. Good morning, Leia. Good morning, Vision, for you. Um, I also was amongst the the group that just believed I was only hurting myself. And yet, um, what was so interesting is, and I heard it last week on the line, like, you know, our first set of tools was the bags and the big free boxes, but my second set of tools was restless, irritable, and discontent because I was in such judgment. You know, when I was abstinent, it was like, what's your problem? I'm abstinent. Get behind me, you know. Until I would become so restless, irritable, and discontent, I could not stand myself. And then I would be forced to go back in and pick up the bakery boxes and, and everything else just to shut myself up because I knew I was destroying other people. I knew my husband would look at me with like, well, who is this? You know, who is this that's coming through the door? And it was so sad to me because I just couldn't stand myself because I didn't have recovery. I didn't know it. I mean, I really, really did not know 
how to get out. I was trying. I knew something was desperately wrong. But until somebody actually took me through the steps and I could begin to see that there was another way of living. You know, I didn't have to be in judgment. I didn't have to do those things anymore. I could pray. I could pause. I could do all of the things that we are taught to do here, that the restlessness, the irritability, and all that discontent started to at least dissipate. And I knew that if I kept on this journey, that it would leave me. And now when I look at my family today and I think to myself, I don't have to do that anymore. Uh, You know, I love on page 164 where it says, uh, you know, countless others. I I, I say that all the time when we say that prayer at the end because it says, see to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. And I count my family and my friends and my people around me as those countless others because I'm a different person and they don't have to put up with this restless, irritable, and discontent. You know, the world is so hard for them out there. When they come home to my home, I want to have peace, you know, the atmosphere that we are allowed to create. We are given the tools to create from this program is is just amazing. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Margaret. Betty Ann. Yes, good morning, Vision, for you. Um, you know, uh, I, for some reason, this reading, these readings put me in mind of step one. And um, I, I saw a picture of myself two years ago. And... Um, I remember that I was unable to be emotionally and uh, physically intimate with my husband. I was so self-absorbed in my own self-pity and my own stuff. And to recognize, you know, looking at that picture, I realized, you know, there was no, there was an amazing thing of I was so powerless I was powerless to look at myself and say, there's no other thing that you were powerless. I was powerless over my emotions. I was powerless over the wreckage that I was causing in my family. I was, and I was eating. And even after I got abstinent, and um, still, until I realized that my life was unmanageable, unmanageable, and nobody wants to, or I didn't want to, actually really admit that my life is unmanageable still there's there was always this little thing that says you can do it you have willpower you can do it you're doing it by willpower you know that's it and until i understood absolutely positively from the deepest down part of my soul that i i'm powerless and that my life had become totally unmanageable my relationship with my family started, when that happened, started to get better. I was able to, and you know, it doesn't come from struggle. It says in the big book, you know, we do not struggle. We relax. And it, and great things will happen. And lo and behold, when you really admit, to, when I really admitted to myself, to my own self, that I was powerless and that my life had become unmanageable totally from food, my addiction to sugar and carbs, that I began to just turn it over to God and lo and behold, my relationship with my son, with other people, with my husband started to get better. 
and we really, the whole family started to recover one day at a time. And um, it's been an amazing journey the past two years. So thank you for listening, and with that, I pass. Thank you so much. This is Leigh. I, too, would like to comment on this paragraph. It says, as wives of Alcoholics Anonymous, we would like you to feel that we understand, as perhaps few can. So essentially, this chapter, Chapter 8 to Wives, it's a 12-step call, you know, by wives of alcoholics uh, on wives of alcoholics um, because they carry a message of depth and weight. You know, they, they are armed with facts about themselves. They have been in the trenches. They have been married to these men, uh, these alcoholics, and they speak from experience. They're not uh, therapists and psychiatrists and phys- physicians who mean well and who are experts in their own fields, but who don't come from personal experience. This is coming from personal experience. It goes on to say, we want to leave you with the feeling that no situation is too difficult and no unhappiness too great to be overcome. So here we have a message of hope. You know, these women have had a problem, obviously, under their roofs. They have implemented a solution. They have taken a plan of action, and they have had results. Again, a message of hope. We want to leave you with the feeling that no situation is too difficult and no unhappiness too great to be overcome. That's spoken with experience. Again, these these pages are penned by those who came before us. You know, they are the collective voice and the collective wisdom. This particular chapter, of course, the, the wives, the spouses of alcoholics. It says, we have traveled a rocky road. There is no mistake about that. We have had long rendezvous with hurt pride, frustration, self-pity, misunderstanding, and fear. This is written in past tense. This is written in past tense. We have traveled a rocky road. There is no mistake about that. We have had. So it's written in past tense because they have experienced it. They have, they have emerged on the other side. And with that experience and with that um, eagerness to uh, hold out a hand to another spouse in, in need, you know, they are sharing their experience. When we talk about we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it, here it is. Here it is. They are utilizing that dark past as a great possession in order to help other people. And it goes on to say here, we have had long rendezvous with hurt, pride, frustration, self-pity, misunderstanding, and fear. Again, we do not, we, real compulsive overeaters, do not bring out the best in other people. We do not bring out their best. In fact, quite the opposite. We aggravate the worst in other people, and the entire family is to some extent ill. It goes on to say, these are not pleasant companions. We have been driven to maudlin sympathy, to bitter resentment. Some of us veered from extreme to extreme, ever hoping that one day our loved ones would be themselves once more. You know, you and I, real compulsive overeaters, we talk about the four horsemen that we experience in our disease of compulsive overeating. We talk about terror. We talk about bewilderment. We share our experience with frustration and with despair. But our loved ones also experience that. 
Our loved ones also have hurt. Our loved ones also are frustrated by our uh, behavior. Our loved ones also are prone to misunderstanding and fear. Our loved ones also experience terror when the doctor perhaps gives a compulsive overeater, uh, you know, some... uh, results of of blood work and other medical consequences and and we turn away from that reality and we we uh don't take responsibility for our health our loved ones also are bewildered by the fact that we make resolutions by the fact that we make vows by the fact that we promise we're never going to binge again and lo and behold 3 days later <laughs> we're digging our fists back into the bags and the boxes that's bewildering to people who live with us, to people who love us. People are frustrated by our behavior. I swear I'm not going to do this anymore. I swear I'm not going to do that anymore. Yes, I'm going to attend that social event 100%. I'm going to be there. And you know what? Lo and behold, the day comes, we don't show up. We don't attend. We're not responsible. We're not dependable. We're not reliable. That is difficult to live with. <laughs> That's very frustrating. The fact that we as a compulsive overeaters and our illness are irresponsible, we're unreliable, we're undependable, we're inconsistent, we're in- unpredictable. The fact that the family members have to walk on eggshells around us. The fact that we are touchy and we're sensitive and you never know whether we feel like being loving or we're going to lash you with our tongue. The fact that we are isolators, the fact that we fall into depression, the fact that we walk around with a victim mentality, not easy for those who live with us. So this, again, is a 12-step call by the wives of the alcoholics on wives of the alcoholics to say, we've been there. We have been there. We have walked in those shoes. We have lived in those trenches. Here we are to share our experience. And we come with a message of hope. And with that, I pass. Anybody else want to comment on these paragraphs before we move on? Start one to unmute. Okay, then let's move to the next paragraph with Judy B., please. Uh, Good morning. This is Judy B., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Our loyalty and the desire that our husbands hold up their heads and be like other men have begotten all sorts of predicaments. We have been unselfish and self-sacrificing. We have told innumerable lies to protect our pride and our husbands' reputations. We have prayed. We have begged. We have been patient. We have struck out viciously. We have run away. We have been hysterical. We have been terror-stricken. We have sought sympathy. We have had retaliatory love affairs with other men. And this paragraph is really uh, telling about the reactions of of the spouses and loved ones of uh, people who are in disease. And um, Leah really described it uh, so accurately um, before when... uh, she talked about how undependable we are, how how um, unreliable, and um, and that's that's I know how I was at certain times in my life, even.
even though I thought I was very responsible and, you know, very, very caring and, and just doing the very best that I could for my family, the truth is that when I was into the food, you know, I was, I was insane. I was insane. And, um, and I know that it caused a lot of havoc in the people around me. And um, this, this chapter just is, is reinforcing that, of, of showing us what, what damage we have done. And, um, and we need to take responsibility for that. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Judy. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Yes, Penny E. Your turn. Thank you so much. Good morning, Penny E., a compulsive overeater. Here again, you know, it's telling us the, the incredible devastation that my disease caused the people in my life. You know, and, and again, I said I've read this before and these things were brought to mind, but again, I'm feeling it. My parents have been gone for, I guess, 20, over 20 years. Um, and I still am thinking how horrible that must have been for them. I don't have children. I only have kitty cats and stepchildren. And when my kitty cat doesn't feel well, I'm besides myself. You know, let me get the doctor on the phone and so on and so forth. Well, here was my parents' daughter, suicidal, suicidal, depressed, unbathed, you know, uh, unsocial, isolating. I mean, to see a child uh, in pain, it must be just unbelievable. I mean, I, I, don't ha- I, I can't reference it. Those of you who have children will be able to reference it. I do have a stepchild that gives me, you know, I have lots of pain, um, but I think it's somehow different. But just what my life caused them, and they spent so much time, these parents that love me spent so much time and energy and money and uh, I mean, they sent me to diet camp as a kid, and they saw results. I ate again. They sent, I went to, you know, that big weight loss place, you know, that uh, used to give diamonds and pins. I lost weight, but I ate again. You know, diet camp, I, I went and I ate again. Diet doctors, I lost weight, and I ate again. I mean, how many times did they see this? So here I am, you know, in a life-changing program, and I'm in a normal body size. My life is changing, but they don't, they're not getting it. I've done this a million times before. You know, they need something to help them get through this. You know, unfortunately, there's not a lot of Oanons around. Uh, there are some somewhere, but um, you know, the, no matter. And, and I think Robin had said this earlier. My parents, the loved ones in my life, they're they're. Um, uh, what their peace, their serenity really has nothing to do with whether or not I get sober or abstinent. It has to do with their acceptance level, you know, their relationship to God and so on and so forth. And uh, what a wonderful thing that, that this big book is serving the families of the, of the alcoholic, of the compulsive overeater. It's just incredible. Um, so anyway, I'm just grateful. Love you all. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Penny. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Robin. Hey, Robin, go ahead. Morning, this is Robin, compulsive overeater again. This is a little chapter that's been dropped into the book that's about the alcoholic, and this chapter is taking the wives and setting them apart and saying, 
um, we too had a problem. We too have a problem because we have somebody in our lives who are, you know, we have a husband or a significant other who's an alcoholic. <clears throat> and this is how I can use this chapter to help me to deal with all areas of my life. Um, every one of us is going to have issues in our lives where there are people who are doing things that we just can't live with. And you can see here, uh, we've told innumerable lies to protect our pride and our husband's reputations. We've prayed, we've begged, we've been patient. We've struck out viciously, we've run away, we've been hysterical. Nothing works. Nothing works to take the other person um, and put them in a safe place so that they can get recovery so that we can be happy. And I, you know, I've got a situation right now with my daughter that feels so uncomfortable to me. But my hys hystericalness, my begging, my praying, my lying don't work to fix her. And what this chapter is going to help us do is use this program. I mean, we can use it this way. It can help us to apply this program to all areas of our lives. And this is another place where we're seeing um, my, my intense loyalty, my intense desire to help my husband or my daughter or anybody in my life to get well and to deal with their problems is not going to work because it's their problem. And what I'm going to learn in this chapter is how to detach with love, how to set it aside, how to see that... Um, just the way we learned in the last chapter, my job is to stay on my side of the road. And we're going to find out how to do that in a way that we can do it with love so that the other person has their chance to crash and burn, so that the other person has their chance to get well, however that's going to be. But I'm not going to be attached to that because I know that my higher power is going to keep me in a safe place. It's going to, My higher power is going to keep me abstinent. It's, my higher power is going to keep me sober as long as I'm working my program. So um, sometimes this, it can be kind of a schizophrenic um, chapter because you want to look at it as the alcoholic, but also, you know, see it as a way to bring this program into all areas of your life and use it to help others by staying out of their, out of their um, messes and allowing them to crash and burn so that they can have the ability to um, surrender and be free, be free also. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Anyone else? Hi, this is Melanie, Compulsive Overeater. Hi, Melanie. Go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, I want to focus on our loyalty and the desire that our husbands hold up their heads and be like other men have begotten all sorts of predicaments. First, I just want to say that this uh, chapter didn't mess around. It came out with a blast. This is very powerful, and it's just left my heart just and my mind just completely paying attention here. Um, I know what my experience was um, and what it did to my husband. And the idea about begotten, all sorts of predicaments, I just wanted to check real quick on that. And begotten is to cause. Predicament is all kinds of dangerous situations or difficult, unpleasant situations. And so when I... Um, Consider that immediately against my particular behavior and experience in my own family. Um, again, once again, I see my lifelong need for amends in this household of mine and how the program of recovery has made such a difference in my husband's life. He is getting his own life, his own private life back because the recovery program, the step process here through the power and grace of God in this fellowship have 
changed me. And my husband is alive again. This is really big stuff. And when I look at this, begotten all sorts of predicaments and the rest that goes on, the uh, preceding lines that go on, this was a full-time job for these wives. There was no time for anything else, no time to develop anything else, no wonder it's a family sickness. This is not this is not joking around. This is not subtle, tiny baby stuff. And there was no time for lives. That's how it's impacting me when I read this. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Melanie. Yes, this is Leah. Um, you know, it says, Our loyalty and the desire that our husbands hold up their heads and be like other men have begotten all sorts of predicaments. And, of course, they, they describe some of those predicaments. They've been unselfish and self-sacrificing. They've told innumerable lives to protect our pride and our husbands' reputations. We have prayed. We have begged. We have been patient. Uh, we have been we have struck out viciously again. You know, unmanageability begets unmanageability. As I stated before, the terror and the bewilderment and the frustration and the de- the uh, despair that defines an alcoholic in his cups likewise engulfs the family itself. So the, the family is un- engulfed by by this type of unmanageability in trying to control the alcoholic. You know, thank God for the program of recovery. Thank God for these principles of the program that we study because the bottom line is that this is a vibrant way of life. It's an exquisite program that's designed to guide each and every individual whether it's the alcoholic or the one who loves the alcoholic, it is a program designed to guide each and every individual through his own personal struggle to grow. And since God, (laughs) thank you, resides within each and every one of us equally, we all presumably, whether we're the alcoholic or we're the ones that love the alcoholic, we all presumably have the same spiritual potential, the same potential to live a life that's happy, joyous, and free. With that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment before we close? Okay, then. Well, thank you. We're out of time. I'm going to ask Penny E., please, to read from page 164 of Vision for You. Yes. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose to you you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.